Hey, Northwest, we uh, miss you guys and miss seeing y'all at church on Sunday, but I'm glad you're joining us online. Um, we're in a little bit tighter confines and where we're recording this week versus last week, actually recording this myself uh, with photo booth. And um, I apologize ahead of time because I know I'm a little closer to the screen and I know, you know, I've got a face for a small screen, not a large screen. So hopefully you're watching this on your phone and not your TV. Anyway, hey, if you see uh, Zach Wood, if you would just say um, a word of thanks to him, he's been very flexible and adjusted well to our new normal. Um, it's not what he wants to do or what he loves to do, but he spent a bunch of time making himself an expert technically. Um, so we're able to get these messages out and he's editing those and posting those. And anyway, I just really appreciate the work that he's done. And um, if you guys would thank him, I'd appreciate it. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 6 today, verses 10 through 18. That's what the today's passage. This is our sixth and final message on Ephesians. We're going over the sixth chapter. Um, before we do that, though, I just want to share with you, um, if, in case you missed it, in case you didn't hear that one of uh, the folks that goes to Northwest, Brian Conley, passed away tragically and unexpectedly um, on Monday morning. Um, he had gone in for surgery. There were complications from that. He became septic and passed away. And it's been devastating for Sarah and her kids. And I want to give you their names so that you can be praying for them. Uh, many of you participated in the Zoom call we had for our Wednesday night. Instead of having our online Zoom call Wednesday night prayer hour, we just spent some time, almost like a visitation service, for them and was sweet and but is still really hard and so if you could be praying for Sarah and their family um, their names are Sean um, and then Claire and her husband Mason Kenzie Hayden and Lindsay and also Sarah's sister Lindsay who's been through this whole ordeal at her sister's side um, so anyway if you would just continue to pray for them that we would be the church and we would walk alongside them uh, through this season so I'm going to pray uh, right now, and um, you guys join me. Heavenly Father, we just come to you today, and we pray for Sean and Claire and Mason and Kenzie and Hayden and Lindsay and Sarah's sister, Lindsay, and we pray for Sarah. We pray that you would comfort them, that you would completely surround them with your presence, that they would, Lord, we know you're there. We pray that they would sense it and feel it. And that they, you would give them the strength they need to take the next step and walk through the next day. And help us as a community, Lord, time out when we show up, Lord, that that one of us reaches out with a text message and another sends an email and another brings a meal or whatever. Just, Lord, that orchestrate us in a way that we provide comfort and just presence as much as we possibly can during this brutal season of being isolated because of the coronavirus and protect their family, Lord. I pray that for their family and all um, who are headed over to their house to drop something off or whatever, Lord, that you just protect this whole community from coronavirus in this season, specifically those Sarah and her children um, and their extended family and friends that are around. Lord, we love them. We pray that you would comfort them. Lord, we pray right now as we jump into this week's message uh, that you'd be in the midst of it, Lord, that you would speak as you promised in Isaiah 55, that you would, your word would go out and not return void, 
that my words would be your words. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So guys, we're going to start in verse 10 um, of Ephesians 6. And um, it begins with these three words, a final word. And so I just want to, by way of recap, let you know that when we start with a final word, when Paul starts this section about spiritual warfare with that phrase, a final word, what he's talking about is the fact that we start right in chapter one, that we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, right? And that we've been adopted and we've been forgiven and we've been sealed. Um, and we've been loved without limits beyond description, but we're able to experience the Lord's love and that we've been given a calling that Jay talked to you about. Um, and that we all have a calling, but we have different gifts for the good of the body. And so all of these things have happened and we've learned how to relate to each other. Last week we talked about what marriage looks like in the midst of all of this. And so now we get to the sin and he's saying there's going to be that you're in a battle essentially and that there's going to be this spiritual warfare. And so here's my final word on that. And so let me read that from Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 11. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. So the overarching thing that jumps out at me about this passage is that we are to stand firm. And we're not called on to take new ground. Um, we're not called on to do anything other than to stand firm. And we know from the first five chapters of Ephesians that we possess his grace, um, that we have courage because of who he's made us to be, we have his good news. Um, we have strength. We have his power. His power is available to us, we learned in Ephesians 1. So what we need to think about today is that we will be attacked. It's not if you're attacked. It's more when you're attacked. That there is going to be attack. And we're not to be afraid or to fear, but we're to stand up against the enemy and to stand firm. And how we do that, we're going to talk about that in this chapter. And I think... The things that are important, there's three things that I want to share this morning or today or whenever you're watching it, and they are this. First, that we're in a battle, okay? That's the first thing we need to know is we need to acknowledge that we're in a battle. The second is that we have an enemy, and the enemy is not necessarily who we, we might think it is. And the third thing that we need to know is that we've been told to put on the full armor and to, and to stand firm in this battle. So you know, what is that full armor and what does that look like? That's what we'll be talking about today. So let's jump in Ephesians 6, 12 through 13. I'm going to read those verses for you. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. So that's Ephesians 6, 12 and 13. And so first thing is that we're, we get from verse 13 is that we are in a battle. It's a fact. It's a, it is the fact of our lives, quite frankly, of our spiritual life to know that we are in this battle with the enemy. This isn't heaven that we live in right now. Bad things happen. We struggle. Um, and it's because we're in the midst of a battle. And Jason Rios, you know, I meet together with Jason and some other guys, and Jason's always set. He's a big fan of John Eldridge, 
And he's always made this thing that we'll misunderstand a bunch of what's going on in life if we don't understand that we're in a battle. And here's a quote from John Eldridge that um, Jason shared with me before, and it was actually in our Ephesians study um, this past week. It says this, There is something in human nature that doesn't want to face the reality that we live in two worlds. We live in a physical, material world where we have jobs, read books, and go about our business, and we live in a spiritual world, and that world is at war. So this is highlighted for us when Jesus says in John 10, 10, that we have a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that he came that we might have abundant life. So we have a choice as we come into this battle to choose life or death. And we just have to understand we have an enemy who's trying to deceive us and make things seem as they're not. And one of the key ways he does that is to lull us into a place where we don't realize or we forget that we're in this battle and that the the very you know spiritual life and eternity for those that we have influence around or with those that you know family members that that hangs in the balance right that it's how we choose and how we walk out and how the Lord uses us and if we're caught up in our own stuff because we feel like the Lord's not been fair to us because of whatever's happened and we forget that we're actually in a battle and that things are happening a certain way because we're in that battle that we lose perspective and we lose opportunities. And so it's very important for us to remember not only that we're in a battle, but in this battle that our enemies aren't flesh and blood. And I'll talk a little bit more about our enemy. But I think before we do that, to realize that just because somebody has an opposite political stance or an opposite religious view or, an, you know, they... They're very into something that I'm not into, whatever that is. could even be something as silly as their college team, right? That I'm not to get wound up there because that's not the battle's not there, right? The, the battle is, it says, with evil rulers and authorities and mighty powers in the dark world, that that's what we're battling, that the people that we're around, that we're sometimes will respond or react to or go after, that Jesus actually came to die for them, that they might come to choose him and choose life. And so our battles isn't with flesh and blood, but our battles with the evil and authorities and the devil and, and his minions is the way I like to classify it. To give you a snippet of this other world, the spiritual world that's going on, I want to read a little bit from Daniel. When an angel was speaking to Daniel in the 10th chapter of Daniel, he said, Then he said, Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So there's this spiritual battle that's going on. And we have a role in it. And the first part of our role is to understand we are in a battle and it is happening. And the second thing for us to understand is that we do, in fact, have an enemy. And the easiest way to think about it is to think about the devil who's introduced to us in the third chapter of Genesis. And that not only the devil, but the other spirits that follow me. I remember when the man is healed um, of the demons, the legion of demons that are in him, that all of those demons belong to the devil. Right. And so those are spirits that are loyal to the devil and they've turned away from God. 
And so <clears throat> what do we know about the devil? We know what Jesus said about him in John eight forty four, And he said this, talking about the devil. He said, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here's what we know about him, is that he's a deceiver and that he's a liar, right? And he's powerful without any doubt. He's powerful. But his power is deception. It's not the truth. Right? That's where he has his greatest power is in deceiving us. And we need to consider him. We need to not go into this battle um, blind to the idea that he exists. We definitely need to consider about him. But we need to know that from the very beginning, he's been this deceiver. Right, came to Eve and said, "You surely, surely you won't die." Right, like that. He just took the truth and he just twisted it a little bit. Like we talked about that, he loves to do that. And so this is a battle. As I've read this this week, the battle's primarily for our mind. That we we're, we know the truth. If we read God's word, we have the truth. The Spirit confirms it in us, but He works in our minds to make us think that what we believe isn't true. Or He, he tells us lies about who we are. He tells us lies about how God feels about us. He lies to us about our circumstances, which causes us to worry. You know, and he always comes with just a twist in all of these areas, right? He doesn't offer you or me addiction at the beginning. He offers us a good time, right? And he doesn't offer us worry that would sideline us or fear that keep us from doing what we need to do. But instead, he says, you know, is it safe? For them to do this or is it safe for you to do that so he just comes with a little bit of a twist on what's actually true and that's how he works and he also i found works best in darkness and in isolation and so it's important for us to take this liar to task with the truth right and to bring what he has said to us out into the light and sometimes that means we talk to others about it we talk to each other about it we share that with our close friends and so i just want you know there's two things here. One is to know that he's there. Like to, we don't want to live without the idea that he exists, but we also don't want to live giving him too much credit. Remember what I told you about Revelation 20, the first three verses of Revelation 20, where it talks about an angel at the end of time, literally coming and grabbing him and throwing him into the bottomless pit, slamming the door and locking it. And that's not Christ that does that. He's not an equal with Christ. It's one of his angels that's going to do that to the devil. So let's not give him too much credit, but let's acknowledge that he's there. And let's have confidence. Romans 8.37 tells us we are more than conquerors. So let's just remember that in him, which I believe is one of the big lessons of Ephesians, that we are in Christ. And in him, you know, we have blessing, forgiveness. We have his love. We have an inheritance with him. And we find out we're part of his inheritance. And we have strength and power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available. And God exerts it toward us and for us. And so we don't have to be afraid of an enemy that he's conquered. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And so what we need to do is we need to figure out how we stand firm against our enemy in this battle. And the way we do that is we put on the armor. We put on the full armor. So let me read um, for us Ephesians 6, 14 through 18. 
and talk about what it looks like to put on the armor of God. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. It's Ephesians six fourteen through 18. So for Paul and the church at Ephesus, this is a common metaphor. They see Roman soldiers walking around all the time. They're familiar with what their body armor looks like. So as Paul begins to explain like how to put on the armor that God's given us, He's using an image that's very familiar to them as they've studied soldiers. And so the first thing he talks about is the belt of truth. Now, the belt of truth was the first thing that they put on. And when they got done, it was the last thing that they took off. And so what that did was that gathered up their rope and they would sort of stuff it in their belt. And then all the rest of the armor fit perfectly. But what he tells us as believers to do is to put on the belt of truth. So it starts with truth. We remember our enemy is a liar. And so the first thing for us to do is to put on the truth. For example, what lies are you susceptible to? Let's imagine that when you do something, you get the sense immediately that you don't feel value. You feel like you, you know, say something to someone to try to encourage them and you walk away. And the first thing you feel like you come away with is, oh, man, that, that wasn't helpful. I'm worthless. And when you feel that way, you go to the truth. And what the truth says, if we look at Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, we get truth that battles that idea that we don't have value to the Lord or to others, or that we may be worthless. Listen, it says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Can you hear the value there? And specifically that you made me wonderfully complex and that I know your workmanship is marvelous, right? I can look up and see how the stars are and the moon and the earth all over the different places that you've visited and seen. And you look at it and you know, like, wow, God, this is the fallen world. How great is his work, right? That we can look and see that and that we have to admit that we too are works. And so that truth helps us battle the lie. That's what it looks like to put on the belt of truth. So what does it look like to put on the body armor or breastplate of of God's righteousness? It would be better if I could say it. But the body armor or breastplate of God's righteousness looks like this. The body armor is this shield, this body shield that goes over. It's the, you know, it, it covers the abdomen and the shoulders. What it does is it guards the heart and, and the vital organs of the soldier, right? And so how do, what is that breastplate made out of in Paul's analogy or Paul's metaphor, righteousness, my righteousness, my being good and right. No, no, his righteousness, God's righteousness. That's what protects our heart. And that's the righteousness is the idea that I have been made right. That happens in an instant. You may hear these words, justification and sanctification and righteousness here applies to both because the moment I invite the Lord in, it says that I've been made right with him. Right. And John 1 12 for all who believe have the right to become children. We become his. And in that moment, we're made right. And that's the righteousness that protects us. There's also this righteousness that we're a part of a process where he's making us more and more like him. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, 
or Philippians 1, 6, that I know that you're working in me until the day of Christ when I'll be made perfect and, and, and brought together with Christ. And so it's important for us to guard our hearts with his righteousness, right? That we remember that we are made right and that we are brought into this place. Proverbs 4.23 tells us above all else to guard our hearts. And so as we put on the armor, we put on this idea that we're made right, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done for us. So <clears throat> what does it look like then to put on the shoes of peace? I always thought that was kind of a trickier one to understand, at least for me. But the peace comes from the good news, the good news about Christ and our relationship with him. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says that we have, first it says that we've been made right with God, but then it says because of that, because of that righteousness we just talked about, now we know we have peace with God, who's described as the Prince of Peace and that we're in relationship with him, that we have this peace. It gives us a sense of wholeness, regardless of our circumstances, no matter what I walk through, whether it's up or down or good or bad, I know that I belong to him. This is the thing that makes us shine to others. This is the thing that really stood out to me back, back when I was in the middle of my sales career and we were going through a rough time and somebody was like, I don't get it. Like, why do you have such peace? And I never thought about it before, but it was because of a work the Lord was doing in me because I was, my identity wasn't so much tied to my job or how I performed but my identity was tied to the fact that I belong to the Lord, which is what this passage is saying. When I know that, then I have the shoes of peace and I can walk into any situation with this idea that I'm at peace with the Lord because of what he's done for me. So then we talk about next, like what's the shield of faith look like? The Roman soldiers would take their shields, their big shields that they would hold up at the beginning of a battle. They would, one side would shoot arrows at the other side. And so they would hold up these shields and those shields would extinguish the fiery arrows. And the way that they would do that is they would soak those shields. They had animal hides covering them, and they would soak them in water before they went into battle so that when the fiery arrow came, it totally extinguished and was unable to harm the soldier. It would put the fire out. So, I mean, what else does our enemy come at us but with a fiery arrow? I mean, you might want to think about what are those fiery arrows that he comes to attack me with, right? And so... What we do is we dip into the experiences that we've had. That's what shield of faith is. It's this memory of what the Lord's done for me. That's what builds my faith is I remember like in this current climate that we're walking through unprecedented times, we've never gone through a total lockdown like we're going through right now. But for my faith, I remember back to 2001, right? When we went through what happened at the towers in New York and in Washington, D.C. And I remember the Lord led us through that. And I remember the financial crisis where banks were collapsing in 2008. I remember that seemed dire, but the Lord, he walked us through that. And so that helps, that reminds me that he's taken me. It's this idea that we're climbing, we're on this journey and we're climbing closer to the Lord. And as we walk closer to him, as we head up this hill, we secure anchor points. And that example, I remember what you did for me in 2001. That's an anchor point here. And then I remember what you did in 2008. So now that we're here, if I slip and fall, I don't fall all the way back down to the bottom, forgetting what he's done for me. No, but the faith does is it reminds me. And so the way I exercise that faith is with gratitude, right? I begin my day sometimes telling the Lord what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for life. I'm thankful for health. I'm thankful that you gave me today. I'm thankful for my wife and my kids. And as I do that, 
The shield of faith is protecting me from all the fiery arrows that the enemy shoots at me. So the next thing in the armor is the helmet of salvation. Okay, and this helmet of salvation, like a good helmet, covers my head. And we remember, this is a mental battle, right? That we have a deceiver who comes after our mind. And so as I put that on and cover my head, this is what it does. It does, let's read Romans 12, 2, where it talks about how we change what we think. And it says this, it says, uh, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we're changed or transformed, not by looking at how the world would do things, but by spending time with the Lord and in his word and by having this helmet of salvation covering our mind so that our mind doesn't you know, go crazy or take us down paths we shouldn't go down, but instead we are transformed and it changes the way that we think. And then we know what he wants us to do. So that's how the helmet of salvation works is it just covers our minds with the knowledge that we're saved in him. The last thing we have is the sword of the spirit, which really permeates everything, but it's the only offensive and defensive weapon that we taught. All the other weapons have been about protecting, but this weapon is also offensive, right? It gives us strength. It's a sword. A soldier would use it to obviously attack other soldiers. We can use the sword or the Bible to attack lies, to attack the enemy. When the enemy's told a friend of ours a lie, we can share the truth with them, which dispels that lie. And that way we can attack the lies the enemies put out there. And this spirit, the, the Bible or the sword of the spirit, actually, you know, it, it's the basis for all the others. Like we get the truth based on what's in scripture to enable us to have shoes of peace and the body armor of righteousness and, you know, the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith, they all come from knowledge of scripture. And I'll just say this, because 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that we're being made more and more like him, the spirit's doing this work in us. But we give the spirit a lot more to work with by the more time that we spend in God's word. The more we know of his word, the more we know the truth about him, the more the Spirit's able to confirm these things in us and make us better for this battle. And, um, you know, quite frankly, the more I know about the Lord, the more I love Him and the more time I spend with Him. So the last thing we're told to do is to pray at all times, on all occasions, and for believers everywhere. I mean, never has this been more important than right now in our stay-at-home world that we're living in right now. And there are a bunch of needs for prayer for, you know, I, I talked about at the very beginning of this message about the Conley family and the tragedy that they're dealing with. And we need to be praying for them and we need for the Lord to comfort them. We need to pray about that for people's jobs, for people who might become sick. So far, I haven't heard of anybody in our community that has, but we're right in the midst of it right now. And so we need to be praying at all times. So here's what we're going to do as a church this week. On Tuesday night, starting at 8.30, we're going to begin a period of fasting. Tuesday night, 8.30 to Wednesday night at 8.30. The last hour, Wednesday from 7.30 to 8.30 is when we have our prayer hour every week that we've begun on Zoom. So you'll get something pushed out to you. Our elder team came and asked for this. And I'm in total agreement that this is what we need to do as a church is we need to pray. And we need to ask the Lord to move. We need to pray for doctors and nurses we need to pray for our community and we need to pray for our leaders. 
And so you'll get this list on Monday. It'll be pushed out to you. We're going to email it out. We'll probably post it on the website as well. But that'll happen Tuesday, 8.30 to Wednesday at 8.30. If you've never fasted before, if you just want to, you know, not do Cokes or not do chocolate or whatever, it doesn't, I don't, I don't care what you fast from. You want to fast from food? Great. That's what I'm going to do. But you choose what's best for you. I just want you to pray with us. In particular, this is the week of Easter. We believe the Lord's at work in this season, and we want to pray together as a church. And so we're going to do what it says in verse 18. We're going to pray together at all times and in all occasions. Okay, now as families or as roommates, whoever you're listening to this message with, I want you to talk about these three questions. Who is our enemy? Okay, that's the question number one. How does he attack us? I want you to make that personal. How does he attack you? What are the ways that he pulls you down? And the last one is, how do we stand firm? All right, I hope you guys have good conversations about that. I'm going to pray and close this out today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to gather online. Thank you for how you love us. Thank you that your word is true. And that we can actually put on all the armor. We can have peace and faith and faith. And we can be led by you. We can be transformed by you. Lord, we can be protected in this season. And so I pray that for our whole community. I pray that as we go through this next week, the week of Easter, where we remember what you did, not only for us on the cross, but how you rose from the grave, that we would be, even though we're confined to our homes, in a celebratory mode. Lord, that we would remember and we would celebrate. Um, Lord, I pray you watch over each family. We specifically lift up to you the Conley family. We pray for peace and comfort to surround and envelop their house. In Christ's mighty name, amen.